Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, one and all, to the Future Tech Podcast. I am Alan Thomas, and I'm joined here today by Bob Friday. CTO and co-founder of MISC. How you doing there, Bob? I am doing good today, Alan. Okay, great, great. Let's 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 jump right in. Uh, tell us about MIST. Who is MIST? What do you guys do? Yeah, I would say the the MIST adventure started back actually 10, 15 years ago when I founded my last company, Airspace. Um, you know, I usually tell people 15 years ago that adventure was really about helping wireless IT guys take care of access points. You know, that was back when. Intel put Wi-Fi into our laptops, and basically they had all these in, uh, employees bringing Wi-Fi from the home into the enterprise space. Uh, and that was kind of what I call the controller venture, right? We were building something that the uh, that the uh, IT guys could use to really manage all these access points and users coming into their network. You know, what happened after that, Cisco, Cisco acquired that company probably around 2005, 2006 timeframe. Um, and then I really became the CTO, mobility CTO at Cisco for the next eight, 10 years or so. And there, I was really focused on helping innovation and investments in wireless uh, technology at Cisco. And, you know, what I started to hear over the last 10 years after the airspace adventure was really that, you know, the customers we'd help, we started to hear this trend of um, customers started talking to me about, you know, hey, I want you to really help me make sure my controllers don't crash. Um, they were starting to put all this mobile device stuff, you know, mobile user engagement on the network. And they really wanted visibility down into these devices, right? You know, before they put a mobile app on their 
customer device. They really wanted to make sure the connectivity was good. And they really wanted something that could keep up with the innovation, you know, the speed of their mobile. Their mobile app guys were developing things every every month or so. And the infrastructure really wasn't keeping up with that speed. And so that was kind of the beginnings of the, hey, there's something going on here. There's a transition in the market. Um, and it was really around transitioning from helping enterprise IT guys take care of APs to really helping enterprise businesses start to put critical service on their wireless networks. And so, you know, from the time we started Aerospace to where we're at now, Wi-Fi kind of went from this nice-to-have to must-have uh, adventure. And so that was one key component to the, the beginnings of the MIST adventure. The other key component was really around when I started looking at the, uh, I don't know if you remember the Watson? You remember the Watson? Yeah, the, 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 uh, IBM, yeah IBM Watson, yeah. that challenge. Yeah. Yes. So that happened around 2011 or time frame, you know, and that was another key point in the midst of venture where it became obvious that, hey, if we have technology now that can play Jeopardy, you know, we should be able to build software and technology that can really answer the, you know, help wireless IT guys answer the question of, you know, why is my user having a problem? Why is the network having a problem? You know, so that was the other key point in the midst of venture is, you know, there's a market transition thing happening. And then there's also this technology thing. AI is really, you know, we're really building stuff that you can't really tell the difference between the software and the domain expert. Um, So that was kind of the beginnings of, hey, there's something going on here. Uh, And that's what kind of inspired me to leave Cisco, I think, back in the 2014 timeframe to really get the missed adventure off the ground. That kind of, you know. Wow, that really, uh, that's. That's, that's kind of a really cool career path you've had there, like <laughs> through uh, that, that kind of brought you to this point. And so, and, and was yeah. your and, and, and so your background was really was kind of a kind of a heavy, heavy telecom background that kind of brought you to this point. Yeah, no, I, I've been uh, as I tell my friends, you know, you know, there there has to be an easier way to make a living than wireless, but this is what I've chosen to do. So I've been doing this wireless stuff probably since my Metricom Ricochet days. I don't know if you remember the Metricom Ricochet adventure. I, I do, I do year. remember Metricom. <laughs> Yeah, so I was the uh, so I was the guy that built all those white boxes back then. We were trying to build mesh networks for mobile internet. I don't know if you remember that. It was one of those great thoughts. It was just a better thought when we had the inner iPhone, when the iPhone became real. Ah, uh, <laughs> right. And, uh, and and so, what would you say that um, the the mission statement for Mist is today? Like the ultimate mission statement. I would say you know right now there's there are two problems we're working on. Uh, we're working on one problem was really around building this virtual AI network assistant uh, that's really focused on answering uh, questions on par with a wireless IT domain expert. And you think that mission is kind of on par to, you know, kind of what they're trying to do in healthcare with AI, right? You know, I kind of see a big, ana- a same analogy between wireless IT and doctors who are trying to diagnose cancer, right? You know, when you look at the doctors, right, they get just a little bit of information, some symptoms, and basically they're being asked to diagnose this very complex problem. Uh, Wireless IT has kind of that same profile. You know, if you look at the typical wireless IT guy, he gets a very vague, you know, hey, my internet doesn't work, right? And then they're expecting him to sort out why it's not working. Um, And this is what I kind of call the paradigm shift between what I was doing 15 years ago at Airspace of just helping IT manage APs. So now it's really about trying to help them really manage the user experience all the way from the device to the wired network, right? Um, so that's one one mission we're on right now. Probably the second mission we're on is really what I call bringing indoor location on par with GPS. Um, you know, so one of the other things I did is 
you know, the mobility CTO at Cisco was trying to drive industry innovation um, and had been working a while on indoor location, you know, seeing what we could do to move indoor location on part of GPS. And that's another trend that we're focused on in this is really leveraging BLE. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure. Are you familiar with BLE and beacons and that whole, that whole trend? No, well, let's, let's, I've heard of beacons, but let's go into a little, little bit more detail uh, just to kind of make it plain for everybody. Yeah. So, so beacons is, you know, beacons is a part of the BLE protocol that Apple came out with a couple of years ago. And it was really focused on kind of proximity and location based services, right? Of really trying to leverage uh, your mobile device to give you information about what's around you. And, you know, one of the things I've been, one of the things I've been working on for years around indoor location is, you know, if you look at why it hasn't really taken off, there's really two friction points. One is that, you know, location's always been kind of an overlay network problem. Um, and also our mobile devices have really never had a common interoperable indoor location technology. You know, so a couple of years ago, Apple and Google, Google has Eddystone now and Apple has iBeacons. Um, and they're really optimizing their OSs around BLE as kind of being this proximity technology. So now we kind of have a technology in the phone that is really geared and designed for proximity type of app user experiences. And I kind of see BLE as similar to what I saw happen with Wi-Fi. You know, with Wi-Fi, it was really when Intel put the Wi-Fi into your laptop, that was really, you know, it was really a catalyst that got that whole business going around wireless controllers. Um, I see BLE the similar thing is, you know, once we have Google and Apple supporting BLE on our mobile devices, um, you know, the question is, are we going to see BLE kind of move from this nice to have to this must have in the enterprise? similar to what we saw with Wi-Fi. And those two relations, you know, so if you look at the two missions at NIST right now, one is really providing this end-user experience, making sure we have provided wireless IT a great platform on to making sure their users have great connectivity all the way from the device to the internet. And the other effort is really starting to put critical services, help them get critical services like location-based services onto these networks. So those are kind of the two things we're focused on right now at NIST of bringing to market. And actually, and actually, you do bring up something that kind of sparks something I, I had heard recently about uh, when, we were, when you were talking about beacons. Uh, I did. I have been hearing a little bit of rumblings about marketers kind of trying to use beacons as, as marketing devices. I guess having them in a, in a central location, and they supposedly will will play some sort of marketing message on so many phones within a certain radius. Yeah, no. That's to be honest. When I started the company, I really didn't start the company with BLE in mind. You know, originally when we started the company, it was really around trying to build a this distributed software cloud platform on which we could build these AI services. Um, it turned out that when I started talking to a lot of the B2C, you know, retail, hospitality, airports, you know, who were trying to basically provide these new mobile user experiences, um, they were trying these battery beacons out. And, you know, what they found, they were hard to manage. Uh, and every time they moved things around the store, they basically had to you know, move the beacons around. And so the BLE initiative really started off as helping them virtualize that. Uh, and so the good news is when we got involved with that, you know, given I was already building this platform to do this distributed AI thing, it was relatively easy to build a distributed service around BLE. Uh, so that's how, how we kind of got into the BLE business was really helping B2C customers virtualize these battery beacons, right? You know, by using some machine learning on the back end, uh, in conjunction with the SDK on the mobile device, we were basically able to virtualize these battery beacons so that, you know, once they put the BLE infrastructure in place, you know, they could basically put beacons, any virtual beacon anywhere in their venue. 
you know, so you can kind of visualize, you know, the, the, the network of the future is going to be a converged Wi-Fi BLE inside these venues and these enterprise locations now. With Wi-Fi providing the connectivity and BLE starting to provide these location-based experiences. And so what kind of what kind of difficulties would you say you've run into in getting this to this point and getting yourselves to this point? Now, you know, I have to say, when, you know, when I started MIST, um, you know, one of the reasons I decided to kind of leave a big company and do this in a startup was I could tell that this was really an architectural change that was happening. Um, and really one of the biggest challenges, you know, when you look at trying to get different domains to work together, uh, you know, if you look inside of MIST right now, I have a, a data science team, I have a wireless domain expert team, and then I have kind of a cloud expert team. You know, and these are three, you know, three different disciplines that you really have to bring close together. Um, and so I think that is one of the benefits of actually having, you know, when you look at big companies versus small companies, you know, usually when you see an architectural change, it's actually a, what I call a blank sheet of paper problem. And usually doing blank sheet of paper problems are easier to do in a startup environment. So that's probably been one of the biggest things is really making sure I can get the wireless domain and the data scientist guys to really understand each other. Right, making sure the data, you know, the data science guys who understand all the math and statistics um, also know how to transfer, transform that into something a wireless IT domain expert will find useful. So it kind of comes down to, like you said, bridging the gap between these different disciplines to kind of, kind of create yeah. the whole. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the technical problems of getting the technology work, but then there's kind of the organizational problem of getting these different domains to work together to solve the problem. And so we, and so we're discussing some of the hurdles or challenges that you've had in bringing it to this point. But what are some of the main achievements that you that kind of spring to mind in terms of during having this missed experience? Yeah, you know, if I look over the, uh, you know, so we are just now releasing our first virtual network assistant. Um, I would say it's been a three-year, you know, the main achievement is, you know, for three years, we've been building the foundation for this AI assistant. You know, the first year was really around building what I call the data, you know, getting the data correct, right? So this is building the, the AP, the sensor at the edge. Um, you know, and the, the achievement there was really getting the data we needed to actually build an AI assistant. You know, and when you look at the edge of the network, you know, what you'll find different there compared to what, you know, I did 15 years ago with airspace is um, 15 years ago, we basically were sending back data every 10 seconds or so in a very synchronous pattern. Um, this time around, we've actually put some asynchronous software in there that really looks at the user state experience, right? And so this is basically software at the edge that's doing, you know, basic anomaly detection on the data plane, right? Whereas before we were sending data back for management, now we're basically doing some processing at the edge, uh, looking for anomaly detections that really let us do things like dynamic packet capture, right? And this is basically looking for anomalies in the user experience. And when we see that, capture that packet and actually store it away later for the IT team to look at. Because one of the biggest problems you have in the wireless adventures, it's hard to replicate these things, right? Once there's a problem, um, it's hard for an IT guy to go back and replicate it. So you have to really capture that problem when the problem happens. You know, so that was one of the things we worked on the first year. The second year was really around building what I call domain expertise and basically taking that data from the edge, both the user state and the synchronous a piece that data and actually putting that into a form that a domain expert would understand. And so this is like time to connect, roaming, coverage capacity, all the typical metrics that someone running a wireless network would want 
to maintain and maintain inside their system. And then probably the last year was really around bringing all the data science to the party. You know, this is bringing all the algorithms like mutual information, uh, time to connect, deep learning, and start applying that to that data. You know, so it's been about a three-year adventure to the point where now we have a virtual network assistant. Um, I would say we're not quite playing, you know, if you look at the Watson analogy, um, the first Watson wasn't quite playing championship level, uh, but I would say we now have a virtual network assistant that is playing wireless Jeopardy. Uh, we're not quite at championship level yet, you know, but we're on the racetrack now. And for the and for the everyday person uh, or organization who would be using the, this virtual network assistant, I mean, what what kind of I guess what what kind of functions do you think they would use it for the most? Yeah, I think it depends on the actual persona. You know, right now we have customers who are looking at it, um, ranging from you know, you know, tier one help desk type of functionality. You know, where we eventually hope to get to the point where a tier one help desk can actually start resolving problems themselves. You know, with the with the assistance, they actually get to the point of helping wireless users resolve issues. Um, we have IT people who are using it for what I call kind of eliminating the dashboard swivel chair. You know, when you're solving wireless problems, it could take a, a domain expert, you know, hours if not days to go through all the data to actually sort out a problem. Uh, we're starting to see our, you know, kind of our wireless IT domain experts start to leverage it, you know, to help them quickly get to the right data, right? Get the right data they need to look in front of them. So, you know, if a user calls up, they can say, you know, why is John having a problem at 10 o'clock? You know, why did John have a problem at 10 o'clock yesterday? Uh, and it'll basically pull up the most likely causes and quickly get the IT guy to the data that he's interested in, at least give him a starting point to look at. Uh, so those are the type of uses we're starting to see out of it. Um, and so eventually, I don't think it's going to replace, you know, similar to the doctor analogy, I don't see AI replacing the doctor or replacing IT. I see it becoming a tool that makes his life a lot easier and automates a lot more and lets him get to root cause a lot quicker. So it's definitely more of an an assist tool, yeah. like you said, that kind of speeds up the process, yeah. makes it a little more efficient. Yeah. So, so I would say on the Wi-Fi side, that's the thing. You know, if I look at the achievement, that's the thing I'm most proud of. Is like, okay, it took us three years, but we now have a virtual AI assistant on the uh, on the racetrack. You know, if I look on the the location side, um, probably the big achievement there was, you know, 15 years ago when I was doing airspace, it was all about Wi-Fi location. Um, and one of the big friction points back then was really around this site survey. Every time we put a system in, someone had to go and manually collect data to learn this path loss model, you know, to make the system really accurate. Um, on the location side, we're now actually using, you know, with a combination of the compute and the storage we get out of the cloud and these new machine learning algorithms, we actually have eliminated that site survey, you know, so we can actually, just from the data we get from the mobile devices now, we actually can learn that path loss model. Um, and for people who are in the R space, that's kind of a big achievement, you know, trying to actually get to the point where, you know, you can learn these models without having to actually go collect manual data uh, with RSSI versus distance. Um, you know, so that was a 15 year, that's been a 15 year learner, 15 year wish I've been working on for the last 15 years. Is, okay, after 15 years, we finally have got to the point where we have enough horsepower and everything to actually use these deep learning neural networks to actually solve a problem. And so, what does the roadmap for MIST look like for the next 12 to 24 months? What's what's coming down the pipe? Um, you know, I think you'll see on the you know on the Wi-Fi side, you'll see our virtual AI network assistant um, start just get better and better now. You know, similar to the Watson, you'll see us starting to play championship 
wireless jeopardy better and better every year. Um, on the location side, I think we're starting to see um, BLE, you know, slowly become, you know, I'm starting to see more and more customers start to move CBLE go from a nice to have to a must have, especially all the B2C verticals right now. Uh, and even some of the uh, enterprise technology companies, right, where they're looking to do better facilities management, especially around open space, right, as they move to more of these open space concepts. Uh, they're looking for better and better tools to actually provide location, you know, how well how well conference rooms and open space is actually being utilized. So, you know, if you look at the NIST roadmap on the Wi-Fi side, it will be uh, new and better virtual AI network assistant technology. And then on the location side, there will be better DLE user experiences um, that we'll be working on. And so with all the advancements and th that you've seen and been involved with, I mean, do you still hear from time to time about ideas or, or developments where you say, well, this isn't something that could happen this year or next year, but maybe three years or five years from now? Are there any developments like that that maybe some kind, sometimes spring up? Yeah, no, I mean, like I say, I think the... Uh, the indoor location has been going on for a long time. I think in the next three to five years, you know, we are going to slowly start to see indoor location come from this nice to have to must have with the, the technology gets better. Um, I think we're going to see maybe on the AI side, um, I think IT is just starting to appreciate the power of um, AI. You know, I think the other transition we're seeing in the marketplace is, especially on the network IT side, is they're moving from a you know, configuring boxes uh, paradigm to more of a DevOps IT paradigm, right? You know, IT is really becoming more about programming, um, Python, APIs, and be able to get the data out of the system. Uh, where, they're more, where they're more focused on things that are relevant to the business as opposed to just keeping a, a wireless system up and running. You know, and that's kind of that shift from AP mentality to more of a end-user experience, you know, mentality where they're really working much closer with the line of business. IT and line of business are becoming much more important to each other and working closer together. And when and when you first start working uh, with clients, what what is that onboarding process like? How does that start? Is it do they sit down with you and is it some kind of evaluation process or or how does it all work? I think you know, you know, when I look at our customer base right now, I I put them in like, you know, we're getting traction in three different uh, three different cu customer bases. I would say we have customers right now who are in what I call moving from a controller to a cloud architectures. Um, you know, these are the customers who, you know, have a controller architecture and they're starting to see the benefits of a real cloud architecture. You know, and there they're looking for, they said, you know, both speed and reliability. And so they're moving from an embedded software architecture to these more distributed software API cloud architectures where you can actually start getting what I call speed of innovation. Right, you know, where basically we can innovate on the infrastructure side as fast as the mobile app side. You know, so at MIST right now, with our continuous integration test process, we actually release code every Wednesday. Right, we're continuously upgrading the code, and we can really do that with speed and with reliability because of this distributed software API architecture. You know, so I can actually develop a BLE algorithm that has no impact on my band steering or RM algorithm. Right, because they're basically distributed two different development teams, as long as the APIs are maintained, they don't affect each other. You know, so that's one class of customers that are really buying us for. Um, there's another group of customers that are really buying this really around this API paradigm, right? These are big, uh, 
you know, think of a very big cloud. Uh, customers are big distribu- distribution centers all over the world, or big retail customers. You know, there they're you know they're having to deploy maybe a hundred stores a day, right? A hundred stores a week. There they're really leveraging the APIs so they can basically get replicable, replicable designs deployed quickly, right? Because they really get they have, they have to bring up a couple of sites a day. Uh, so those customers are really focused on this new DevOps Python API where they basically are trying to automate a whole process uh, in the cloud. And probably the third set of customers we're seeing a lot of traction with are really those customers who see the benefits of a converged BLE solution. You know, and this is really around where we're starting to see business and IT come together where marketing and business have a vision around some customer or even employee experience they want to create inside the, uh, the venue. And really that experience really is based around indoor location, right? When you start to think about expanding the Google map experience indoors, you really want to get the indoor location experience so you can start personalizing that experience for the user and employee what's around them. And so there's a lot of our customers who are in that bucket right now, um, you know, where IT and marketing are working together you know, IT is basically either helping marketing or marketing is helping IT bring some vision to the business that's really which is more strategic to the business. And that's kind of that critical business services thing that I, that I see happening now in the paradigm shift where 15 years ago it was all about, hey, I just want to get wireless working for some employees, bringing the laptops in. Now it's more about, hey, I need to get my wireless system working for some critical business service that, you know, their business wants to put on their network. And so what... The, what big takeaway would you want our listeners to take away from this interview talking about MIST? What, 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 any final thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, my takeaway after being at, you know, this business for the last 15 years, you know, as I said, aerospace was kind of the controller venture. MIST uh, is really about AI and cloud. Um, I think the big takeaway I would, I'd give listeners is, hey, don't ignore AI. AI is going to be, if you ignore AI, it's at your peril. Uh, it's going to become a, you know, a competitive advantage and companies who don't embrace it and learn how to use it, uh, they're going to find themselves at a disadvantage. Um, same with the controller that, you know, in the wireless space, you know, it's time to move from that controller architecture to an AI cloud architecture. It's, you know, this is probably the biggest takeaway I give uh, my wireless network brethren. It's time to start looking at transitioning to a new architecture. Great. And And what's the best way for potential clients or just people who are interested in, in the in the space? How do they get in touch with you in MIST? How do they engage with you? Uh, no, they're, they're happy to get me at bob at MIST.com. Uh, they can go to the www.mist.com webpage, though, um, you know, and they can easily, if they go there, they can easily get help. There's a dial-in, you know, there's an instant SMS service. Uh, so I would recommend most people go start the uh, MIST adventure at www.mist.com um, and also don't hesitate to reach out to me if, uh, they, if they want to. Okay, cool. Thank you, Bob. I, like I said, I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast and, and, you know, giving us some of your time and your expertise here. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. yeah, no, appreciate it, Alan. It's always fun. doesn't take much to get me going on wireless and location. <laughs> coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th. 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. 
As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.